When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Bread aisle, are you ready to rock? Dave's Killer Bread is the country's number one organic bread for a reason. Always delivering killer taste, killer texture, and killer nutrition. This isn't bread. This is bread amplified. Welcome back to your weekly dose of shock therapy. I'm your host, Tyler Lawrence. With me, as always, is my co-host, back from IR, Zach Alfers. How you doing, Zach? How you feeling, I, Back man? from IR is right. Yeah, that was a tough, rough stint. Um, I was out, just wiped out last week entirely. Um, had a, came down with a little cold, got tested for COVID-19 because I thought I honestly had COVID. Um, got two negative tests, so I don't have COVID, but... Man, I, I just got some seasonal cold, and it's like the first time I've been sick in about a year and a half, two years, and it just laid me out. Um, yeah, I had to cancel our pod last week because I just couldn't. Anytime I, I was up for longer than two, three hours, uh, my head would just start throbbing. I had nasty body aches for the last week or so. Um, so definitely happy to be past that. Um and we got to celebrate with a hell of a win on Sunday. So it makes up for for our little hiatus there. It was an awesome game. I got the opportunity to attend this game, dude. The atmosphere there got really nasty, I really bet. bad toward the end. Toward the end there, you're seeing all the terrible towels being waved around. I mean, the the... The Steelers really made a really big comeback, and they couldn't close it out, which I'm super thankful for. Yeah. I do, uh, I did meet some, so I got upgraded this game to uh, club seats, which was awesome. Um, I had actually gotten my my Chargers rep a cell, and he upgraded me to club seats down at the very bottom level, which was awesome. I got to see one of my old Navy buddies from uh, that that I haven't seen him in like five six years. So I, I had an opportunity to take him to that game. Um, too expensive. <laughs> yeah. I did look at the price. It's like three hundred and fifty dollars a seat. Plus, uh, it's also like a like a five to ten thousand dollars stadium seat license. And then I was looking at like the resale value because I'm not going to be able to attend every game. I mean, it's a huge. It's it's a long day for me for one. I it's you know it's a three hour drive and then you yeah. get out and you have that stadium traffic. Um, and then you're looking at the resale for, you know, the games that I can't attend and I'm seeing the resale value. Those tickets are selling under face value, usually about two, $250, uh, for a seat down in that section that he put me at. And if I'm paying three fifty a seat, it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense financially to, you know, even take those. I am interested in upgrading those seats because those seats are really cool, but not the price that they come with. Uh, they're expensive and just a little outside of my price range. Um, don't make that much money. <laughs> maybe if this podcast starts being kind one of day. financially fruitful, maybe one day. But it was an off- awesome atmosphere. Uh, it was a fun game to attend. That This game, the Browns game, was a really fun one. Um, 
I'm I'm glad that I got upgraded for those seats. But there's no way I could ever take those seats for real. Well, at least you got the experience, right? Yeah, it was fun. And like I said, I got to see one of my old Navy buddies that I haven't seen in like six years. I brought him over to the game. Uh, I do have a shout-out now that I'm thinking about it. So I, I did get stuck right on the away section, and I was surrounded by Steelers fans. And uh, Robert and Celine uh, are some Steelers fans that I had an opportunity to meet Uh Doing some trash talk back and forth. It was all in good fun. They were, they were good, good sports about it all the way throughout the game. Um, it was, it was a close matchup and it's nice to be able to experience the other team's fans when they're not like bad fans who are kind of sore losers and whatnot. Um, yeah. you know, he got loud on his big plays. I got loud on my big plays. Um, you know, there was a fight that happened in the section next to us. Um, not cool. If you want to, you know, have some trash talk and, you know, go back and forth with the opposing team's fans, that should be fine. But you shouldn't be raising fists or anything stupid like that. But it was a good atmosphere. We had a lot of fun. And uh, thanks to my my friend, Ray Grijalva, who attended the game with me. It was, it was an awesome experience. He actually went to University of Oregon um, for college. And he's met Justin Herbert a few times. Not really that close. Just says, you know, Justin was a real quiet dude. He was always in had his nose in the books. Um, not really the the celebrity he is today. <laughs> Makes sense. I wouldn't expect anything less than from, yeah, our retroverted leader. <laughs> Introvert, introverted, sorry. So let's get into this game. The Chargers pull out a close win. They got out by a pretty good lead. I think it was a 17-point lead at, at going into halftime. Uh, the Chargers win 41 41- 37 to move to six and four right in the hunt of the AFC West. Uh, ben Roethlisberger had three passing touchdowns, 273 yards passing, uh, completing it looks like about 65% of his passes. Uh, the Chargers, who were without some of their main guys on the defensive line, Jerry Tillery was out, uh, Lynn Ball Joseph was out. We held the Steelers running game to like nothing. I mean, Najee Harris had 12 for 39. I think some of that is the fact that we got out to a, a pretty big lead and they, they had to throw the ball 44 times to even stay in it. Um, but we were effective against the run in the times that they did run. Braden Bahoko, Forrest Merrill holding mm-hmm. it down. Justin Jones did his thing. We played really, really well against the run on Sunday. Yeah, I, I, and I think you nailed it on the head. Um, we definitely performed well when they had to run it, but everything, all of that had to do with the big lead we got out to because they just couldn't, which, which and I think it, Brandon Staley, we're not, we're, this is going to be our defense. It's going to be, it's just the, the philosophy he has. He, he believes that three yard, four yard, five yard runs, um, it's going to take a lot to add up to one pass play. And I, and I see that philosophy, but it's not going anywhere. We're going to not be a great run defense team. But if you get out to a huge lead, force their quarterback to throw the ball and don't allow them to run the football, uh, we get great results. And you saw it Sunday. I, I thought our defense overall played phenomenal. Over the past couple of weeks, and I don't want to touch too much into the Vikings game that was two weeks ago, but the Vikings in run the ball well against us either they had 33 attempts i want to say for and they were averaging like 3.3 yards per carry so over the past two weeks our run defense has been improved jerry tillery was out and that helped <laughs> helped us more than it d- deterred us from being a good uh, run defense uh kaiser white man he's just making all over the place all over the place how, how are you not gonna resign this guy he has to come back i think one of the biggest priorities right now, I think right up there with Mike Williams, um, dude is definitely deserving of a contract extension. I want him on the team because he, he's one of our bright spots every single game. He hasn't he's had an, an energy off game. guy too, right? Yeah. Like he's bringing the same level of energy as Derwin James to this defense. I mean, when he's making big plays, everybody around him is getting hyped. Um, I do want to talk a little bit because I've been hearing rumblings about Joe Lombardi holding this offense back. I, w- I wanted to get your thoughts on 
some of the play calling, is it an issue? Uh, are we figuring it out? Um, are we being more aggressive? Do we need to be more aggressive in, in our play calling? Maybe not going forward on fourth down, which we are going for. But I mean, just in general, the play calling, is it too bland? What, what is it about Joe Lombardi? Is it, is it a concern? Are you worried? What, what are your uh, thoughts on Joe Lombardi? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I wanted to talk about Joe, um, especially because of all this hate that's being thrown his way the last couple of weeks. Uh, I want to come out to his support and say I really like what he's been doing. Um, and I thought this last game against the Pittsburgh Steelers was one of the best games he's called of the season. And when you got a versatile guy like Austin Eckler, who is so far from being one-dimensional, I, I think you should use him in different ways. And I loved how Lombardi mixed up uh, Eckler's touches in particular, 11 carries and then seven targets in the passing game. I mean, that is great. I think and, that's four and four touchdowns. And four touchdowns. I'll tell a little more about Eckler. But I, I just love that dispersion of touches for him. I think it's a great use of Eckler's skill set. And going back to what something I, I touched on in earlier podcasts, I think our offense is best when it is unpredictable against Baltimore, against New England. I thought we fell kind of in love with what was getting us uh, success in the first couple of weeks. And we became too one dimensional against the Steelers. I thought we were as unpredictable as you could possibly be. You know, we threw some funky formations out there. Uh, I thought we did a great job of mixing up personnel groupings and it it kept Pittsburgh off balance. You saw them uh, trying to sub people in frantically uh, all game long. We, we ran a reverse to Guyton, tried to jet sweep Tanjay Roberts. You know, neither of those plays resulted in big gains, but I, I think it just shows a little wrinkle and his willingness, Lombardi's willingness to add a little bit of unpredictability. And the biggest thing I saw when looking at the box score is how many different playmakers got touches in this game. Nine different players earned at least one target. Seven different players earned at least one rush attempt. And I've been talking about it all year. You know, we have so many other playmakers. I, I want to get them involved. I thought Lombardi did a great job of that uh, against Pittsburgh. And I, I really like what he's doing with his offense. It's going to take some time. There's a lot of moving pieces, but I think you see it coming together. I, I thought Lombardi called one of his best games against Pittsburgh this past weekend. I really feel like we fell into this weird, bland, basic game plan for the offense, you know, over that span where we, you know, won one game and lost four. Um, I, I just... It's a little concerning to me because nothing seems creative about his play calling. It seems very bland and basic. And I've been talking about it for a few weeks. All these tiny little hooks um, and curls and, and these rub routes out into the flats. Um, the the lack of screens that we've been running. It seems like we are, we're only running maybe two or three a game. And those are, those are money plays. Those are, <clears throat> if they don't work, it's a low risk, throw it into the dirt. If they do, we're at work typically those are big gains long gains um i i feel like it does get a little too basic and i mean justin herbert is thrown to his first read seemingly every single play and that's how this offense is kind of structured right know who you're going to pre-snap based off the alignment based off of what they're showing Uh, i know that they ran a lot of cover one on sunday and it was really easy just to key in on your first but Justin Herbert has not been asked to move through his progressions very often. Some of it is because they are bringing the zero blitz, right? Some some of it is some of that. But at the same time, I mean, against the Vikings, they did not have a single pass over 20 yards. Their only pass that did go anywhere near that was intercepted um, by Kendricks. It just yeah. seems a little bland. I don't see the creativity. And every time I do see the creativity, it's a big play. Right, the, the Chargers. Joe Lombardi likes to do these um, these tight end drags that turn into you know run up field. Um, I, I, I've seen those work, and every single time it's like a touchdown. But I'm not seeing a lot of the deep developing routes. And Justin Herbert's arm is so strong, and you can really push a ball down the field. This isn't Drew Brees, you know, in his late 30s, just. It's his offense, but without any of the deep developing routes that he ran, you know, when he was 30 years old and able to push a ball down the field. It just seems like a lack of use of Justin Herbert's actual strength as a passer, which is pushing the ball down the field. 
And this offense is not predicated on that at all. Yeah, I I don't know. I I think it's a combo of things. First, I think teams are playing us with heavy emphasis on creating pressure on Justin Herbert to where we can't really call a whole lot of five-step dropbacks because we're getting pressured right off the bat and we have to have some of these quick-hitting passes. And then I think most of it is a familiarity thing. This is a very complex offense, and I know we are – eight months into the or eight weeks into the or whatever 10 11 weeks into the season 11 weeks i think yeah my my point is i I think it's going to be a work in progress i I don't think we ever thought lombardi was going to get here and we were going to be the five thousand yard saints offenses of the past it's going to take some time um to get to that level and i think what you're seeing is we are really good at the beat the the simple stuff in our playbook and it's it's productive I think you're going to see more and more of opening up that playbook, getting those big shots, because I, I think it's just, yeah, I, I think we're, we're sticking to what's getting us success, which is the That's short what, passing actually, game. Let's, let me talk about that for a second. We're in week 11. Like, this playbook should be open, right? Like, this is, you know, the beginning part of the season is where you're, you're – lulling you're you're game planning for weeks ahead right you're running certain plays in a specific way so that you can change them up a little bit more toward the back half of the season because we know other teams are watching film right and you're seeing specific route combinations but those route combinations typically especially with players like keenan allen who, who you can have these um these routes that have uh also do this right so like you know, you can run these little curl routes and you keep running the curl route the same way every single time. But now, you know, a couple of weeks later on, that curl route also becomes like an out route. So it's a curl out, right? Or, you know, you get these options out of that. And you want to be very basic about your play calling early on so that other teams can game plan against it. And now you're throwing wrinkles into those. So, and I'm just not seeing like as much of that progressing, especially when we have the same receivers every single week. And then you look at like Mike Williams utilization over the past month, two months, like he had the hottest start of any player on this roster. And now he's been kind of a non-factor. And yeah, granted he had the touchdown winning the game winning touchdown toward the end of the game there. But at the same time, it happened at the end of the game and his targets have come down a lot. Like multi ten plus minutes without getting a single target in that game, so it, and he's not getting those targets. I mean, he was getting nine, ten, eleven, twelve targets a game, and toward this last half of this since the bye week, it's been like four to six. So why are we not getting a, a guy who's a legitimate weapon for the Chargers' offense? Why are we not getting him involved as much? I, 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 see, and at, it's to yeah. the point where I'm almost like, you know what? While he had this hot start, and we know that he's a, a, a good player, is he, over these last couple of weeks, worth this you know, $15, $20 million a year contract that, that we could potentially be giving him you know, in, in six months from now? Because he's up for a contract extension, but if we're still not utilizing him like in, in previous years, then he's not worth it. He's not worth it, especially when you have a replica of him, Josh Palmer, who's developing, and we've seen him develop over the course of the year at a pretty high, fast rate. He might not be getting more than two to to three targets a game, but he is Mike Williams' replacement if you just look at their athletic profile. He's, He's that guy, and we're getting him more involved. And it's not even like we're getting involved to the point where it's taking snaps or targets away from Mike Williams because, I mean, we're talking about two to three targets a game for Josh Palmer, but we're not getting the same type of production out of Mike Williams. And it's not because Mike Williams isn't able to produce. We're just not giving him the opportunity. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel a lot less worried about the offense and, and Joe Lombardi in general um, because I, I think it's a lot less I don't think the offense, the players themselves are worried because they kind of teams have been playing us a lot uh, very different from game to game. And I think it's just about 
exploiting mismatches and giving the guys who have the hot hand. And right now, the last couple of weeks, Keenan and Austin Eckler, how can you not give them the football right now? They are balling out of their minds. So, you know, when, when you got guys like that that are so hot, it's hard to go away from them. I get wanting to get more people involved, but look at those numbers. Nine different guys with targets, seven guys, different guys with rushes. He, he, they're trying to do that. And then I think it goes back to there's only so many times in a game where a creative play comes up, right? And then right. it's scenarios in between that. There's only four or five times you can really, in a game, go outside of your playbook and, and call something drastic. And it's I think true. a lot of it has to do with the, the, the game scripts. We haven't really had to come out of our, our hat too much because we've had success with what we're doing. Um, so I think, you know, when we get to the playoffs, when when our, you know, our PB&J isn't working, we're going to go to something else. But right now we are getting so much success from what's working. So it's like, well, you know, why why change? Why change? I, I get. Yeah, wanting- but are we, though? Like, let's talk. Let's 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 think about this here for a second. Right. Vikings. It didn't really come out. Right. No. New England, it didn't come out. It came out this week. We're riding the high of this win right now. And don't get me wrong. I mean, Keenan Allen's eaten. He's at 810 yards through 10 games. Last year was at 992 through 13. So he's on track for, you know, another 13, 1400 yard season, which is elite production. He's got two touchdowns, but whatever. We've been spreading the ball around. But Mike Williams is an asset that isn't being utilized in the game plan quite as much. And I'm not saying that it's hurting the team necessarily. I'm just saying it's, you have these resources available to you. And it's something that worked very early in the season. We were getting a lot of W's early in the season. And as soon as we stop using that resource available to us, these losses start stacking up. And yeah, we won last week. We also didn't utilize him in the games that we lost. So something's got to give here, right? Well, and I, I think you, you, you're you on to something. You know, in the games that we won, Mike Williams is a, a major factor. And when the games we lose, he is not. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not so worried because... I don't know. I think I'm just an optimist at this point because, you, you know, Maybe. you make some valid points. Um but yeah, I'm really not too worried because I, I just think it's really we haven't been forced to go out of our bag too much, and I, I think that's going to happen towards the end of the season and most likely in the playoffs. But I, I'm totally for keeping. Yeah, I he don't hasn't know. lost his job. Joe Lombardi hasn't no. lost his job. It's things that he I think that he needs to clean up. Is all it is. It's he's still done a really good job. I mean, Justin Herbert's playing like a top ten quarterback this year. We have a lot of drops, a lot. We had four in the game just last week. Tons of four drops. drops. Jared Cook had a terrible, terrible drop, terrible drop that hit him in the hands and he juggled it up and he, he had every opportunity to catch that. We know Keenan Allen's at the top of the list of drops in the league. It's it's been all over the place. Um, things that just need to be cleaned up. We're not efficient. We're not playing November football right now because, I mean, the Steelers had a lot of injuries, and you have T.J. Watt, Mika Fitzpatrick. Maybe this game goes a totally different direction. This, I mean, we started off the way that we were supposed to start off, but we did not end the way that we needed it in, even though we got the W, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that that – the beginning of the fourth quarter was awful. Um, well, we, we played three great quarters and then a, Fell apart. a great final three minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it. Um, so let, let's talk about Austin Eckler. Let, I'll let you go ahead and have your moment. Give me everything <laughs> I need to hear about Austin Eckler because you're the hype man and I want to hear it. Well, I, man, I think it's time now uh, we got to consider Eckler as one of the best running backs in the game today because uh, he, he just is. And I've been talking about it all off season that I thought this was the year that he proves it. And right now on pace to be one of the best all purpose backs, he's up there in touchdowns, just tied a franchise record with four touchdowns in a single game. Every one of those touchdowns elite 
broke multiple tackles out there doing dancing with the stars. These crazy juke moves just have Steeler defenders slipping out of their cleats. That dude absolutely on fire. And he just keeps getting better. Um, yeah, I, I've never seen this man so good, and I, I love that it's happening right now. Um, Eckler's on fire, and it doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon. And it happened on prime times Sunday night football, which is such a big moment. And Justin Herbert had a great day, 382 yards, three touchdowns. He, he was a FedEx Air Player of the Week for the fourth time this season. Four times he's had AFC Air Player of the Week. No other player has to. I did post that today on my uh, my Twitter. This guy needs to be getting some some MVP voting because he's playing at that level, and I think he's going unnoticed because the Chargers don't have the record that matches. They're six and four. They're fine. We got a few weeks to get it going, but Austin Eckler took this game over, and it's not like any of his stats were that ridiculous. I mean, he had eleven carries for fifty yards. And two touchdowns. He also had six receptions for 65 yards and two touchdowns. He had, you know, just a little over, you know, 110, 115 all purpose yards, which isn't elite production. But when you're looking at his scoring plays, that's, it matters. It matters a lot. And he had a big, big day making multiple guys miss. It was a big moment for him. And I'm glad to see that he walked away with that nice. Football Sunday night football player of the game. Um, that that's just awesome. How can you not be romantic about football? <laughs> you no, I love it. I love all of it. And you know, I think Herbert definitely was the engine. He was the spark that got us going. But you, you can't deny Austin Eckler's ability to finish. You know, you need seven points in those situations, and he got it for us every single time. Um, what what I'm surprised that you didn't mention is. We, we got to start, start calling him Historic Herbert for all the records this guy is breaking. First quarterback to throw for over 380 yards and rush for 90 yards. We got to call him. He is a legit dual-threat quarterback. Pittsburgh slept on his athleticism big time, and he made him pay. Nine carries, 90 yards. I think ever since Baltimore, you know, we saw Herbert kind of go a little bit away from his rookie of the year kind of performance, but in that Pittsburgh game, what a way to bounce back on primetime. You need your primetime players to show up during primetime, and we got a big showing from all of our superstars. Let's talk about that record for a second here, right? No quarterback has ever thrown for over 380 yards and rushed for 90. Not Michael Vick, not Lamar Jackson, not any other dual-threat quarterback in Nobody. name. And none of them are even close to 6'6". So that is just insane to see athleticism at that size. That it was huge. He was just on the Pat McAfee show, making us proud for the brand. Uh, and man, on that long run, I want to say that that long 30, 35, 40 yard run yeah. where he cut back, I really think he just ran out of gas because um, he should have been able to break that little arm tackle because he had him. He just kind I think, ran out of steam and got tripped up, but. That play right there in particular, well, what I really liked about Justin Herbert's game was his decision-making. I thought in all of our losses, his interceptions were throws that uh, didn't necessarily need to be made. There were other options they could have went for or just thrown them away. But I liked that in the Pittsburgh game, when he was forced out of the pocket, if there was a shot downfield to take, he took it. He did also, he wasn't perfect either. He missed some wide open receivers. But what I thought was most important when there wasn't anybody downfield, he took it and ran and he took the 10, 15 yard runs that were available from him. I thought that was a great, you know, learning moment for him um, after three years of, or three weeks of forcing the ball. Um, he didn't have to do too much. He, he let his legs do a little bit of the work. And I thought that was huge and, and really great to see from You know, in his decision-making, it's really interesting because he really is able to fit the ball into these tiny, tiny windows when he's on, when he's hot. I mean, you look at the corner route by Keenan Allen, that was decent coverage. That that wasn't an easy throw by any means, but he has this this arm strength. He really has some nice velocity. I know Baldy broke down his his game a little bit. Um, He's 
he's taking some risks, but those risks aren't aren't like game changing. Like this could end the game types of risk. I know he has one one game uh, a couple weeks ago. I, I forget which game it was that it it ended the game. It was the interception that was returned for a touchdown. Um, yeah, I for, forget what game that was. But for the most part, most of his decision making where that was Adrian Phillips. Ugh. Uh, New England, yeah, Our the Adrian New Phillips one. Patriots. That that put the game away. But for the most part, like even when he is taking risks, and you're going to take some risks, they're pretty high percentage risks, right? It's it's do or die, and he's fitting it into these windows. He does get a little squirrely, you know, in his his accuracy on some of those. But when it's there, it is there, and he's making he's making good plays. I'm really excited. I'm I think I'm really ready to to move on. But I do want to talk about the Chargers' highest-graded defenders and op- offense. So Justin Herbert was the Chargers' highest-graded offensive player, 81.8. Keenan Allen, 78.4. He had another 100 yards receiving. And then Rayshon Slater, 72.8. He also had an 87.6 pass-blocking grade. Defensively, Joey Bosa, I, I did talk about this. I Ironically, I was saying that he's been kind of non-existent and and i say that from means of like he hasn't been the game wrecking player he's been mostly because he's been double and triple teamed and we haven't been getting a whole lot of pass rush from anyone but bosa but he's still affecting the game so i i I feel like i need to talk to that he's still affecting the game because we're the, the the opposing team is putting so much sight on him play after play game after game but I was really looking for at that moment in time toward the end of the game where you need him to make a play. And he made that play. He ended the game, essentially. Uh, 83.0. He also had an 86.8 pass rushing grade. Uh, Drew Tranquil, 75.5. And by the way, let's talk about Joe Gaziano here for a second. Joe Gaziano had a few major big plays. You're looking at the goal line stop where he took the, it was like a, it wasn't a screen. It was like a little pitch, like a misdirection thing. He covered that up nicely. I know he had a big um, uh, PBU uh, from the pocket there. Uh, Joe Gaziano had himself a hell of a day. Somebody who might have earned a couple more snaps going forward. Uh, there's a bunch of guys. Brain Fajokos should be making this 53-man week after week, too. The, the practice squad D-linemen, I thought, were phenomenal. Everybody that played... A defensive line snap in that game, I thought ha- had one of the best games of the season. Um, yeah, we were so dominant at the the on both sides of the trenches. I thought um, offensive line did a great job in pass protection and run blocking. And then I thought we was the first week. I think we consistently uh, won more matchups across the defensive line than we lost. And I think for you know that. Not we, we would see Joey Bosa win his one on one matchup, but then the rest of the three just get blown off the line. And I thought you saw multiple guys winning this week, and I think that's a, a big reason why we were so disruptive against the run. It was huge. It was enormous the effect that our backup practice squad defensive lineman came up and make big plays across the board to the point where I'm legitimately like limiting Jerry Tillery's snaps because these guys played lights out. They're hungry. They're deserving yeah. more snaps. They're, I mean, it was huge. It was so such a breath of air to see our run defense have an actual effect. They did. They had a huge effect on the game. Well, and was, that's one. Yeah, one thing I think those guys in particular bring that I think we have been lacking is the 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 sheath underwear makes the most comfortable boxer briefs I've ever worn. If you're sick of boxers that are too loose or briefs that are too tight, Sheath is for you. The most comfortable boxer briefs you'll ever put on your body. You see, their stretchy fabric is made out of a moisture-wicking technology. They're super soft, keep everything cool and comfortable, and right in place. Sheath is particularly useful for staying cool while working out. 
Now, the most unique thing about sheath underwear is that they have these dual pouches that keep your man parts separated, which prevents things from sticking together, keeps them right where they need to be. They'll be the most comfortable pair of boxer briefs you've ever worn in your life. Plus, they have brand new materials like bamboo and mesh for even more cooling comfort. Go to sheathunderwear.com and get the most comfortable underwear you've ever worn. And if you use promo code IHEART, you'll also get 20% off your order. That's sheathunderwear.com, promo code IHEART for 20% off your order. Sheathunderwear.com, promo code IHEART. Sheath underwear makes the most comfortable boxer briefs I've ever worn. If you're sick of boxers that are too loose or briefs that are too tight, Sheath is for you. The most comfortable boxer briefs you'll ever put on your body. You see, their stretchy fabric is made out of a moisture-wicking technology. They're super soft, keep everything cool and comfortable, and right in place. Sheath is particularly useful for staying cool while working out. Now, the most unique thing about sheath underwear is that they have these dual pouches that keep your man parts separated, which prevents things from sticking together, keeps them right where they need to be. They'll be the most comfortable pair of boxer briefs you've ever worn in your life. Plus, they have brand new materials like bamboo and mesh for even more cooling comfort. Go to sheathunderwear.com and get the most comfortable underwear you've ever worn. And if you use promo code IHEART, you'll also get 20% off your order. That's sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART for 20% off your order. Sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART. Effort on the backside, you know, tracking people down. And yeah, just because you got beat up on your play or they're running away from you, those guys weren't taking plays off. Even if they were running away from them, they tried their best to get involved. And I think, you know, that backside pursuit, um, that effort, that, that willingness to just not no matter what's going on in the rep, uh, just not giving up. I think you saw that from those guys, and I think it, it rubbed off on some of the veterans that I think it kind of left. And I, I think we saw it from everybody in the beginning of the year. But remember we were talking about during the, the, those lulls, those losses, about just the energy from this team kind of sapped. Um, I think that just that that effort, that just willingness to want to win every rep kind of abandoned us. Um, I think we it, it came back in a big way, and I think Gazano and uh, Fajoko were a big reason for it because of their energy that they brought. I, I loved how they played. You got something to play for, right? Like, yeah. these guys have something to play for. Like, Jerry Tillery is guaranteed snaps because he was a first-round pick, and he's not deserving of them. And we've been talking about it for weeks, for for years, let's be honest here. We've been talking about Jerry Tillery's issues since he was drafted. And Joe Gaziano and Brandon Vajoko bring more energy because they have more to play for. Well, and Tillery's playing a bit, yeah, a bit entitled. And those guys, the other guys you mentioned, they're not, they might not be on the team next year. They they're might not hungry, be on any yeah. team next year. And you could tell that hunger, uh, very much needed on all football teams, but very much needed for this team specifically. And I, I love the energy they brought. I'd love to see them get some more snaps moving forward. Let's move on to the Chargers versus Broncos games. You got anything else you want to talk about from this last game? Um, I just like let's how talk we... about the Justin Herbert Cam Hayward thing real quick, real quick. Oh. Let's touch on it. Let's touch on it. Boo! Because that that bums me out. Because Cam Hayward was a guy I really liked, admired, um, basically his whole career, and then to see him pull a move like that, I I, I still don't understand what he thought. Like what? What was his reasoning? Uh, I thought that was so beyond uncalled for. Um, and I'm, I'm, I know he wasn't going to get suspended, but I was hoping he would because you can't punch the quarterback who's down in the stomach. That's not the UFC. You know, I get uh, you. I, I get you. I, let me talk about it real quick because I don't think it was intentional. Because when you look at it in full speed, right, and everybody slows it, it down, weird. and they really right, like. He had his arm wrapped under Herbert, and Josh Palmer came up, right? And it, it looked like intentional, like he was holding on to him. Josh Palmer comes up, and he gets punched in the chest or whatever. You know, just kind of like a – it wasn't a punch. It was like a, you know, get off me. Yeah. It was, you know, bickering, basically. It was a chuck, yeah. And then the way that he comes back down, he's, like, falling. And you could tell, like, his arm did not spring back and, like, hit right? Like it fell down. I don't think it was intentional. I think it was worse than what it looked like. Yeah. I mean, you know, it just looked like Herbert got the wind knocked out of him a little bit, whatever, but it didn't, that was not a, a, you know, cock your gun back and fucking hammer, right? It's like, not in Dominic and Sue, uh, 
No, it was not that level. I think it was a little blown out of proportion just because it looked bad. But when you really really look at it, yeah, when you really look at it, I I don't think that it was like intentional. I think Cam Hammer is a hell of a player. He's a a vet. He's not the type of guy to go and do that. I've never in his career ever heard about Cam Hayward being a dirty player. Honestly, I think it just looked really bad. Now, granted, like end of the game, that run really like sapped so much out of the Steelers, so much emotion into that that specific play that so many people just took it out of out of proportion. I honestly think that he just was coming down fist closed and it just looked worse than it really did. But even like Herbert didn't really flinch all that much. Like he definitely felt it, but it was not meant. It was not intentional. He was not trying to to hurt Herbert. Well, but I wanted to see more defense from our players, our offensive linemen. I mean, yeah. I remember when uh, the Steelers, um, Mason Rudolph, was it, who ha- oh, yeah. um, and uh, Garrett hit him Miles in the Garrett. helmet with his own fucking helmet, which is hilarious. It wasn't anything like that, but still, you saw like that camaraderie come back around and the players protecting his player, their their quarterback. I wish I would have seen a little bit more of that. And it was more like, oh, did you see that? Did you see that? And I was like, come on, you guys. Like, let's throw some punches here. If our, yeah. You think our get quarterback is hit. Or get our quarterback up. Um, yeah, do yeah, something, I like that right? Too. Yeah. Yeah. Eh. I, I will admit, he definitely didn't follow through, right? No. Um, I think he messed up. And then I think as soon as he realized what he was doing, he kind of held up. And that's why you kind of see he, Herbert – I think anticipates a much bigger blow. Um, yeah, got exactly. a little tap in the stomach. Um, but yeah, I, I think now that I'm just thinking about it and listening to your speed, you have sense, to watch it in full speed. Well, I remember looking at it. Because if you watch it, it slow motion, it's, so it's going to look bad. Well, yeah. even full speed, it's really slow and it's bizarre. And you're just like, why doesn't he getting up? And then he's like, oh, he hit him. Um, yeah, I think he. Yeah, I. Who knows what I he was I think it got blown out of proportion, yeah. I think he definitely realized while he was coming down that he wasn't supposed to be doing that. But, yeah, either way, um, yeah, let's move on. Let's, it's Broncos week. So Broncos are 5-5. Five and five. This AFC West is very, very close by all four Jeez. teams. Literally all yeah. four teams can win this at this point in time. Chargers are 6-4, and 3-1 and one away. Um you look over at the game, you can find it at C- on CBS at 1.05 p.m. We did get flex. Not this week. No, that's, we a, that's a different game. I thought uh, we we'll didn't be playing get flex. at 1 o'clock at, uh, um, what is their field called? Mile High? Yeah. The mile High. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Broncos? How, how is this game going to go? This is our first matchup kind of late in the season for a, a first-time divisional opponent. Yeah, um, I don't know. This is one of those, I, I think, tough games to predict because you, you look at the Broncos, you know, elite scoring defense, one of the best in the league, but also on the reverse side, one of the weakest scoring offenses. Um, but I, I really think the things that worked for us well in Pittsburgh are going to help us again this week. I, I thought... We talked about our D line, how how big they played. I thought that was huge. Why, or a huge reason why Najee had a bit of an off game. But I really think the biggest reason and our our best defense against the run, and it will be, I'll keep saying this for the rest of the, the season, our best defense against the run is getting out to big lead and being able to hold off a, a, a late burst. You know, I, I we got big, we got up big against Pittsburgh. And they did not want to air it out. And, you know, we kind of stumbled at the end. It, it was way closer than it needed to be. But I think if we can repeat some of that early success again against the Broncos, I, I think that is our recipe for success. Because if you think about the games that we won, all hot, fantastic starts. The games we lost kind of never woke up, came out, got punched in the mouth, and then just never woke up for the rest of the game. So it kind of made me think, hmm, let me take a look at the numbers. When the Chargers score the first touchdown of the game, we are 6-1. and one. When we surrender the first touchdown of the game, 0-3. Oh so to me, that's it right there. Score first touchdown, we have a very good chance to win. We don't, 
that winning percentage sinks to zero percent. So I, I definitely don't think, you know, this is a game that's going to be decided in the first quarter. You know, if the Broncos do score first, I don't think it's a write this one off. But with how well Bridgewater takes care of the ball, you know, another game manager, we had a lot of trouble with Kirk Cousins, even though we were able to uh, turn him, make him turn the ball over. With how Bridgewater takes care of the ball, with how the Broncos like to run the football and chew clock, and with how good their defenses is, I think all of those things combined make getting out to an early lead that much more important because once they settle into their groove, that defense is very, very hard to score on. Um, Bridgewater, he doesn't really make unwarranted mistakes. So early lead, I think, is is going to be huge for this week and then just moving on to forward because it, it helps our run defense, it helps his team. And just look at those numbers. When we score first, we win. So um, that's kind of, yeah, I, I think that's our winning recipe. Uh, it's it's worked so far to this point. So that's what I want to see at, at least get us off to a hot start because when we come out and we look, we, when we look lost in the first quarter, we never wake up. So I, I think hot start, um, get out to a big lead force them to throw the ball more than they want. It's going to be huge again on Sunday. Interesting enough. So the Broncos defense, according to PFF, and again, you take this with a grain of salt, but it has not been very good overall. I mean, the Broncos have the 24th ranked defense, according to PFF. Hmm. Now, that's weird because across the board, they're very, very, very strong. Now, Von Miller, who played seven games, for them was their highest rated defender. He was obviously recently just traded away to the Rams. But behind him, Josie Jewell, uh, Alexander Johnson, uh, Shelby Harris are the only guys that really grade above a 70 overall, which is interesting because we, we really thought that this was a Super Bowl caliber defense. Now, I'm not really t- too concerned, right, because they've had a tough schedule and they're sitting at five and five and again you got to take pff stats uh with a grain of salt because they're they're not everything right right but losing von miller was a big big loss for this team and i think that just goes to show that they don't think that they're in any position to contend for a super bowl this year and i don't think that they are either right i think they have a super Bowl caliber defense but when you trade away your best player arguably he is their best player That's just just telling you everything you need to know about the Broncos that tells the Broncos players everything they need to know about what their their coaching staff thinks of them, what their general manager thinks of them. So it is something to monitor, but they can surprise you. Teddy Bridgewater obviously hasn't played elite, but he doesn't turn the ball over. He's got just five interceptions to, I want to say, like 14 or 15 touchdowns. Um, They have... Melvin Gordon, he's been very quiet, right? Like, I haven't heard much from Melvin Gordon or Javante yeah, actually, Williams. Melvin Gordon actually, I mean, has the same amount of, of, if not the same amount, more rushing yards than Austin Eckler does have at this point in the season. But I think the biggest difference is they, they are using Melvin as their goal line running back, and he, he has a ton of rushing touchdowns. At least yeah, five. But at the, but saying you have more rushing yards than Austin Eckler isn't a whole lot when you considering Austin's only getting 10 carries a game, right? Austin okay. is making a lot of his money right now as a dual threat running back, as somebody who can catch passes out of the backfield. By the way, Austin Eckler is starting to get more records uh, catching passes out of the backfield on a weekly basis, it seems like. He's, he's getting something new. Um, he's a dual threat running back, and the Chargers are not a running off at all and the Broncos are the Broncos run the yeah. ball quite a bit more they have two really good backs there Javante Williams is doing his thing um, and, and like you said they're using Melvin Gordon as their goal line back but at the same time like they're not impressive they, they have well, good receivers Jerry Judy's been injured this whole season right so there's nothing to worry about there Teddy Bridgewater, he's going to play really safe. I think you can really get after him and and force incompletions, force him to take sacks because he's not going to turn the ball over. He's going to hold on to it. But it is interesting to note that their defense is not coming together very well. Well, overall, uh, yeah. Um, 
Well, in listening to those PFF numbers, I think a lot of it has to do with just how awful their offense is and how often the Denver defense has to be on the field and has to bail them out time and time after, you know, time after time. I, I think because, well, let's just go into this. What do you think is the offense? What offense? What offensive matchup are you looking at? Offensive matchup, if I had to guess, um, I would say it's Teddy Bridgewater, Bridgewater against the secondary, right? I'm, I, I see that our run defense has come together pretty well over the last couple of weeks, and I feel like that's the game plan that the Broncos are going to come into the game with is let's run the ball, let's run the ball, let's run the ball. But when they don't, and we know Teddy Bridgewater likes to play very safe, he's kind of like a Tyrod Taylor a little bit better than Tyrod Taylor, you know, at this point in his career. Uh, when we're playing cover zero, right, cover one, and we're, we're lined up on them, he's going to audible to a run. So he's not going to be taking any of those shots, and we've played very, very well against the pass overall, where we yeah. can just kind of sit back and just expect the run, expect the run. And I'm, I'm seeing that our run defense is coming together over the last few weeks. And I, I think that's the matchup I'm looking at is, is he going to take any shots? Is he going to force the ball anywhere? If not, then if we can, if we can slow the run down and force some, you know, third and longs where mm-hmm. Teddy Bridgewater is going to be forced to take those opportunities, they're not going to be there. And we're going to take that away. So if we can force some, you know, third and eights, third and sevens, uh, and we can get out to an early lead, then I'm not even worried about this game. You know what? That's why we are a good team. My key on defense is definitely getting the Denver Broncos off the field on third down because they have a they are very bad, very very tough time this season at extending drives. They have the fifth worst conversion of rate on third down. Now, I thought the Chargers had been pretty good on third down so far this season turns out they have not been second to last in that category with opponents converting nearly 47 percent of their third down conversions so to me the way we win this battle you have to do very very well on the early downs and against the broncos that means defending against the run that means getting after melvin gordon means getting after javante williams because they do have the ability to bulldoze opposing defenses if allowed now with linville joseph out um, cause I, I think he has a positive COVID test. Um, Justin Jones, he's not vaccinated, so he's not right. going to be, he's not going to play this That's week. Tough. Um, either way, Justin Jones, the rest of the D line, we're going to need another big showing from you. Braden Fahoku, Joe Gazzano, all of that repeat performances. We need it. Um, be, yeah. Cause you need to shut down the run. We, we, we need the only way we force long third down conversions is winning our bat- winning the battle on first and second down. So, yeah, I-, I think, yeah, defending the run and forcing some third down conversions, long third down conversions, uh, I think will be key in this game. Here's the issue that I see with this is going back to the Vikings game, the first, uh, the first half, which I charted the entire first half, uh, of the Vikings game. And there were so many five, six, eight yard chunk plays in that first half. The Chargers yeah. didn't get a negative play to the very, very, very last play of the second quarter. And everything else, they didn't have a single play that they allowed for less than five yards rushing. That means oh. every single time that the Vikings rushed, they were getting at least five yards in the first That's half. Huge. Second half. That's insane. That is insane. Second half, they played much better, right? I think of the 98, 97 yards of total rushing that, um, what's the Vikings running back's name? Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook had, right? Like 68, 70 yards of it came in the first half. In the second half, they were forcing a lot more two, three yard rushes, and they were getting some negative plays to go for negative yardage. That's the ultimate key to this game overall is are you going to be able to slow down the Broncos run game and force some of those uh, third and long, 
Uh, even second and long situations, because second and long situations, that's still forcing a pass that's in your favor. That's what the Chargers defense is predicated on is, you know, playing uh, three on two, uh, two on one in the passing game, right? That's what you want to do. Um, that's the key to this game. That's how you win this game. But the matchup I'm looking for is when we do, and I'm saying when we do, because we're going to do it. When we do force those long uh, passing attempts, what are we going to be able to do? And I think we're going to be able to shut it down. We know that they're going to run the ball. Or they're going to run the ball 30 plus times this game, unless we can get out to a lead early. But that's that's how you beat the Broncos. You you force them out of being able to run the ball. Yeah, Dalton Reisner, uh, Bobby Massey, and Lloyd Cushenberry have all allowed more than 10 pressures this season. There's something you can do against this offense to get pressure on Teddy Bridgewater. Well, yeah, um, it's interesting you talk about that because that's the matchup I'm looking at is the pass blocking unit for Denver with against this. I, I want to call it, you know, surging um, pass rush of the Chargers, I think is really coming into its own the last couple of weeks. First off, you can definitely get to Bridgewater. Bridgewater has been at sacked at least once every single game this season. That line has allowed to- uh, a total of 30 sacks all year. That is with, now, they have to enter this matchup without their two best pass protectors and left tackle Garrett Bowles and right tackle Bobby Massey both out dealing with ankle injuries. So I apologize. I, I totally forgot to go over the injury report, but I can go over that real quick if you guys like me to. So the Chargers have quite a few players on the injury report right now. Uh, Kenneth Murray was a full go with his ankle injury. Justin Jackson with his quad was a full go. Uh, and then we also had Steven Anderson and Tevin Campbell who were fo- full goes. Uh, Anderson's dealing with an ankle injury and Tevin Campbell with a toe injury. Um, and then Michael Davis should be a full participant as well. Matt Filer was limited. I think this is going to be more of a veteran day off. He's dealing with some sort of ankle injury. Uh, we did have a couple did not practices. Number one, Aloe Gilman, who's dealing with a quad issue. And then number two, Trey Marshall. Uh, Asante Samuel is still in the concussion protocol, so he did not practice. That's the second concussion this season for him. Uh, he did not play like half the game uh, against the Steelers. And I thought he was playing pretty well uh, before that second concussion. So hopefully he's able to bounce back, um, get his head right, because concussions are, are never good. Uh, Mark Webb also dealing with a knee injury, but he hasn't really played much, so that's not a big issue. Kareem Jackson did not practice. He's dealing with a neck injury. Those are really tricky, right? The neck injuries are typically take a lot longer to heal. Uh, that is a very, very significant injury for this team. Uh, Bobby Massey was a limited participant. He's dealing with an ankle injury. Uh, I don't see any other offensive lineman injuries, though, which is interesting. So I... Uh, Maybe I was looking at the wrong thing, though. But I, the last injury report, oh, you know what it was? I looked at the last week's injury report. Yes. So Bobby Massey was a limited participant. Nobody, no other offensive lineman is actually listed. I know okay. uh, Melvin Gordon's dealing with a shoulder injury. He was a full go. Caden Stearns was a full go. By the way, Caden Stern has been a welcome sight for the Broncos. Uh, Mike Purcell dealing with a thumb injury. That's not going to prevent him from playing. He'll just throw throw a boot over his his wrist if he needs to. Uh, and then Baron Browning, who's been kind of a rotational player for them at linebacker. But they are relatively healthy. Uh, if I look over across their depth chart, you might be able to get a better idea. Just looking at players that are on IR, uh, KJ Hamler's on IR. Graham Glasgow, who was their starting Right guard is on IR. Quinn Meaners has been starting in his place. I was a huge Quinn Meaners fan. I still am. Um, maybe less so since he's playing on the Broncos. Uh, Josie Jewell is on IR, which I did not know. Michael Kaiser is on IR. Alexander Johnson's on IR. So that's really interesting. That's two of their best defenders. It's probably why their, their defense has not been playing quite as well. Uh, when you got those two guys on on injured reserve, and then Micah Kaiser, who should have been, you know, their number three, uh, Baron Browning and Kenny Young are starting in their place, and those are the major. Oh, Bradley Chubb's on IR too. 
wow. So the whole reason that this team is really, really struggling is their defense has major key injuries. And then they also lost their star pass rusher, Von Miller. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting when you look at how beat up this defense is because just looking at that, I mean, Patrick Sertain is starting. Kyle Fuller and Ronald Darby are both there as well. Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons, their secondary is still top-notch. But when you look at the other injuries they have across that board, that's very interesting when you look at it. You're talking about two key linebackers, two linebackers who were part of PFF's like top 15 overall graded linebackers last season. And those guys are out. That's that's a really, really interesting matchup to exploit. That's probably why their run defense has not been playing so well. Well, yeah. Any uh, uh, closing remarks, Zach? What about uh, defensively? What matchup are you trying to exploit? Um, I am really excited about our whiteouts on that this passing defense. I think it's it's where the Broncos are at their best. Um, fourth best at opponent QB rating, second best at opponent uh, completion percentage. And I really think we should start calling Denver, you know, DB University because I think they could field a full defense just of defensive backs. And I think they would perform all right because they have a lot, especially with the injuries to KJ Hamler and um, they have some a couple other DBs out, but to me, I really li- like what I've seen from Patrick Satane. I really think Justin Simmons is the the leader of that group. But I, I think you know, out of Ace, you know, besides Asante Samuel Jr., um, Nate Hobbs for the the uh, Raiders has been playing very well. But the other corner that's I thought performing super well is is Sertain. Uh, less than fifty percent of his targets going his way are being completed. He also has an interception, and then you got Justin Simmons back there. He's a tr- he he has magnets for the ball, leads the team with four interceptions, um, which I, I think is all fine and great. But now they have to deal with one of the most potent pass catching duos in the league, and I think it. I, I just wanted to bring this up. People were laughing at me this off season because I was writing posts about how I thought Keenan and Mike uh, have the chance to be a top ten receiving duo in this league. Now halfway through. Those two have combined for 1,515 receiving yards and nine touchdowns. It's only three teams right now with duos with more receiving yards at this point in the season. Kansas City, Minnesota, and the Rams. Those are the top three duos. So when you take into account that Casey's duo includes Travis Kelsey, tight end, toss him out of the discussion. The Rams have cut balling out of his mind, but the other half of that duo's production comes from Robert Woods, who's on the IR for the rest of the season. It's going to be hard for either Van Jefferson or OBJ to really catch up and keep that up. That just leaves Minnesota, whose duo of Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen only have 50 yards more than Keenan and Mike. We just won big game from being the team's most produ- or the league's most productive receiving duo. So in just one offseason, you know this pair has been went from being laughed at as a, a top 10 consideration from being a top five unit midway through the season with a chance to finish as the best receiving pair in the league. You know, I, I say keep the laughs coming because Keenan hears it. Mike hears it. They're just feasting on it. Um, I, I really like our receivers in this game just because it, it's a strength on strength matchups that I always love. They're, they're the best part of the Broncos defense right now is their DBs. I, I like, I like Keenan and Mike's chances in this game. Um, They've just been feasting all year, and I, I, I see in every game we won, one of those two guys has blown up. So um, maybe it's time for both of them to blow up. I, I, I'm, yeah, I, I'm so on board for them um, to be considered one of the best receiving duos. I think everyone else needs to get on board because the numbers don't lie. You know, I'm really interested to see what Joe Lombardi does scheme-wise on this because I feel like this is a week knowing that you have Ronald Darby, knowing that you got Patrick Sertain. And Kyle Fuller. I, like I mean, DBs. those are the three, three best DBs, like corners, like trio out there. And then you also add in Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons there. I see a, a lot of two tight end sets coming on and trying to take advantage of this, this linebacking core here that's kind of 
beat up. So I feel like that's the matchup that Joe Lombardi's probably going to play. What's what's the final score this going to be? Ooh, uh, let's see. I'm going to go... I'm going I'm to go like 24-17 Chargers. I think this yeah. could be a, a close game. I think that clock management-wise, uh, the Broncos may win the, the clock time here because uh, I think they're going to run the ball a lot and keep the Chargers' offense off as much as possible. Uh, I would say about 24-17 seems like a pretty accurate forecast of how this game should go. Well, yeah, no. I mean, I think that's it's spot on. You know, Chargers average about 26 points per game. Denver gives up about 20 points per game, but scores about 20 points per game. So, I, uh, yeah, I think 28-20. Um, but I, I swear, I, I feel like every game is going to be 28-20. Um, but I think it's going to be another one-score game. I don't think there's going to be... And it's going to be one of those games where there's probably going to be like 10, 11 total drives in the whole game because uh, I, I really just see Denver having 15-minute drives, um, Chargers having a rebuttal in three, four minutes. Um, so uh, I'm going to go 28-20. All right, sounds just looking good. looking at averages. Any closing remarks? Um, yes. Last one. Very, very close race in the AFC West. There's only one team that's undefeated in the division. We need to keep that going into the Denver game. We beat the Raiders. We beat the Chiefs. We're the only team right now undefeated in AFC West play. Got to keep it going with a big game against the Broncos. Mile high is not an easy place to win. I, I want to stay undefeated in the in the division, especially after um, going winless not too long ago. I want to put that out of my mind. So let's beat the Broncos. Right. Stay undefeated. All right, let's stay undefeated in divisional play. This could be a really big game for us because I, I feel like last week set the trajectory where we want to be. This is the week that we we ride that wave that, you know, we started last week. And it's time to get off of this, this you know, you know it's, it, it's time to get off of this loss um, pattern. You know, we're going win one, lose one, lose two. Time to start a winning streak starts now. Um, let's get it. I, I, Broncos are not supposed to be, or not should not be in this game with us. Um, I, I say let's put them out of their misery early. And can we just get one game where I don't have to sweat, where I don't have to, you know, worry the entire game? I want to get a big lead. Let's win by more than one score. I'm sick of these one score games. Um, they're really bad for my blood pressure. I hear you, man. Thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review. And we'll talk to you guys next week after we beat the Broncos. Going down.